welcome to the Katie's Tech Podcast. My name is Jason Johnson, and this is episode 21, recorded July 9th, 2014. This is the show where I go over the news stories of the day, usually technology-related, that catch my eye. They may not be the biggest news stories or the most popular, just the ones that I find most interesting. And I want to start off the show today with an apology. I intended to come back with a new show after the July 4th holiday on Monday, but on Sunday morning I woke up with a pretty bad cold. I was out sick Monday, uh, still hacking and sneezing pretty bad Tuesday, so I really just held off. I didn't think I was in a recording state. Nobody would want to listen to my voice and my hacking and sneezing. So I waited till today. And honestly, there's not been a whole lot of news, but I did see a couple of items I wanted to mention. So we'll go ahead and get into that. But again, I wanted to apologize for the gap in shows. And um, hopefully we can keep going in my help will stay good. First article I wanted to mention was a actually a how-to article that CNET has. And it's a really good article on enabling the Google Now Everywhere on Android phones. Some of you have seen this feature before advertised on some of the major high-end, usually uh, Motorola phones or the ones that pitch this, the droids and whatever. But it's where you can say, okay, Google, and then tell it the phone whatever you want it to do. And it basically is always sitting there listening and waiting for you to, to give it the okay, Google keyword. And then it does whatever action, search, whatever you want it to do. It'll call a person, send a text message. It's, it's a very interactive way to, to voice control your phone. And a lot of people don't realize this can be turned on on pretty much any of the higher-end phones or even from the standard phones that are running 4.3 and 4.4. Those are kind of the requirements. If you've got a 4.3, 4.4 Android phone, odds are good you can enable this. So go check it out. It's on CNET. It's one of their, under their how-to section. Very good article. I was able to follow it last night and turn on this feature on my daughter's phone. She always thought she had to, to slide up from the, from the bottom of the screen to, to activate the OK Google feature. And we were able to actually get it working from the lock screen. So she just has to say, you know, say, OK, Google, and her phone's now interacting with her. So might prevent some people from actually feeling like they need to upgrade to a latest and greatest phone as they see that feature advertised because it is available. You just have to know where to find it. Next subject I wanted to mention is the fact that Microsoft made an announcement today, and it was actually, I think, originated in a story by Mary Jo Foley on ZDNet uh, on her Microsoft blog, but it got picked up by a lot of the different news agencies and kind of spun out of control. And what I'm talking about is that Microsoft made, according to Mary Jo Foley, has kind of trickled out the information on when Windows 7, Windows Server 2012, and several other products are going to be outside of standard support. And really, this is not a very scary proposition. It's not unusual, I guess is the way I should say it. It's very standard for Microsoft to come out and say, you know, we will cover our product until X date and then um, go from there. So January 13th is the date that we're seeing um, bandied about, uh, according to Mary Jo Foley. And really all this means that it is that standard support for Windows 7 will cut off. Extended support will continue, so it's not going to be a dropped product. And I think where a lot of people get concerned about this is the fact that so many people had a hard time letting go of XP due to the flop that was Windows Vista that 
Microsoft extended the support of XP way beyond where it normally would have been. And so we just lost support for XP in the last little bit. And now it feels like some people, I think, that Microsoft is dropping Windows 7 really fast, when in fact it's really on the natural timeline of where it should be. Now, I agree, Windows 8 is not the best operating system for a lot of businesses. I ran it in business. I run it um, in business. I've got uh, some friends of mine that are running a, a company, and every desktop they've got is running Windows 8. But there's a lot of people and a lot of institutions that, that either can't for software compatibility purposes or just from user training purposes. Some users just can't handle that big of a change in the interface. And so this is a scary proposition of losing Windows 7. But the extended support still means it's still a viable product. It, Microsoft is really just trying to push everybody towards it. Now, I will say in the case of Server 2008, and this does include the R2 update to 2008 server, you know, Microsoft is trying to give enough notice because you can't just migrate a server. You can't just upgrade a server. It, it takes a lot of time and, and effort and coordination through the different resources to get a server upgraded. But there again, you've got issues where the products running on them are not supported or in the case of one of my applications, I've, I use the Windows Media Streaming Services of Windows 2008 server. They completely changed it in 2012, and we will not be ready, I'm sure, to move in that direction to 2012's implementation before the product is gone. So we may continue without support for that, but we accept that and know that going in. Our main servers are already 2012, our file servers and everything, so it's acceptable risk. And that's kind of how you're going to have to approach it. But Microsoft is trying to make sure that users know that the support is going to be ending on those products so they have time to make a decision one way or the other of how they're going to handle it. But the main reason I mentioned this story is the, the way the media treated it and just you know the, the clickbait-type articles where they you know, made just the sky-is-falling type headlines in order to get users to click on their stories basically scared a lot of less technical users, people who don't, aren't familiar with the upgrade process, the update process for Microsoft and their support structure, and just how the timelines usually work. And this has really generated a lot of controversy and you know, fear for, on the part of a lot of major you know, users and managers. So I just wanted to mention that so if anybody you know, can be aware that it's not outside the realm of normal support and no, no word has been made, but there is the possibility that Microsoft will extend Windows 7 support, but don't assume that because no word has been said, as I just mentioned. So continue with the thought that standard support is going to expire at the end of the year, 1st of January, 13th of January. Um, extend support will, of course, continue as normal. And probably, you know, Windows 9 will be out before any of this matters anyway. So there's that. The next story I saw that was really interesting is a security story. And basically a security firm came out and said that, according to their research and everything, and this I'm pretty sure has been corroborated, it's not just a one company he said, she said kind of thing, that Android phones are not completely deleting the data when you do a wipe. When you restore the defaults, you wipe the device, you're going to give it to somebody else, you're going to sell it. 
whatever your intention is with that device, when you think you've wiped all your personal data off of it, according to these people, it is still recoverable. And basically, Android is not doing the job that it's supposed to do to clean that data up. So expect to see some updates to that. I'm sure Google will get right on that, and there'll be an update to the Android operating system that takes care of this. But be aware, you know, if you go to sell a device or give a device away, however you handle your used devices, that if you had secure information of a private nature on it, it very well may still be there and may be recoverable by the person who has your phone or tablet or whatever Android device you're using. That's just kind of a be aware, kind of watch it story, but it's good to know. If you have a device with a lot of private data on it, maybe you want to hold on to it. And the last thing I wanted to mention, it's not really a story, it's going to be kind of more of an initial mini review. This is this definitely an initial review. I haven't had the device for more than a week, but I did want to kind of give my thoughts on the device. I recently acquired a Nike Fuel Band SE, which is the second edition of the Nike Fuel Band Fitness Tracker. And you may be familiar with these devices. They're wrist-mounted in this case, wrist-worn devices. Uh, you can get uh, Fitbit makes a couple that are clip on your belt loop or whatever, similar methods of wearing them, but the current trend is more towards the wrist-worn devices. Fitbit has their um, Flex. They had it, the Force for a little while. Um, Nike has their Fuel Band and now the Fuel Band SE. Um, I think Up is on their second iteration called the Up24. Um, Polar Loop has a couple, has a version. There's just a flood of these on the market. And what kind of makes this interesting to me is I, I ended up with the Nike version. Uh, wasn't really going to be my first choice, but I couldn't pass up the opportunity I had to get it. But Nike has actually stopped development of the hardware side of this. They've, they've almost disbanded their hardware team and moved to strictly making the app side of this. So uh, probably more focused on taking advantage of the software that runs using the motion sensor in your phone, in the case of Apple. Or possibly even rumor is they're working with Apple on the upcoming Apple iWatch or iFitness Band, whatever Apple's wrist-mounted device that's supposed to be coming up is going to be. So this is probably the last iteration of the device. So that's, keep that in mind as you, you know, I kind of give a review and possible recommendation. But it's, it is still available for sale. It's not off the market, but it'll probably not be a, there probably won't be a third edition of this device. What I do like about this device is that it does function as a watch. It actually has a display on it that um, allows you to read your current status. If it's got one button, and as you press the button, it cycles through your fuel status, which is Nike's proprietary way of saying how much activity you've had. Unless you're in the Nike ecosystem, that may not mean as much to you, but it is owned by default. It's kind of Nike's way of tracking your goals and your fitness level. It does have a time feature. Um, it has how many uh, calories you've burned and Nike's hours won, and I'll come back to that in just a second, as well as a, a basic calorie counter of your activity. Uh, the calorie counter and the steps, the pedometer, are, have to be enabled. They don't work on by default, but it's really simple. As soon as you set it up, you just check those boxes and they, they appear on your device. The steps, or the hours won, excuse me, is a very interesting feature where you can set the device to remind you, along with the app on your phone, in my case on the on the uh, my iPhone, because the device does not the not have a vibration option, 
the phone is actually what vibrates. So if I don't notice the lights flashing on my wrist, the phone will vibrate and kind of tell me. And what this is, is it reminds you every hour within a time span that you set to get up and move around a little bit. It keeps you from just sitting at a desk all day, uh, sitting on the couch. It, it basically, it's just a visual reminder to, hey, you haven't done anything yet, this, done enough yet this hour. Why don't you get up and move around a little bit? So, kind of a neat feature. I've tried to take advantage of it. I think I got seven hours today while I was at work. So that's not too bad. Um, I definitely did not was not active during my lunch hour, so that's probably the one I missed. But um, kind of a neat feature. Uh, Design-wise, let me step back again. It's got the display, which is one of the things I like. One button. It's not a soft watch device like a lot of the current devices you see out on the market, the Fitbits and whatever. It's actually a pretty stiff, it's, it's the soft rubber texture, plastic, that you see on a lot of cases and devices these days. But the band itself clicks together and forms more of a bracelet than a watch. It doesn't have a lot of give. It does have a couple sizing options. I have the, it has a small, I have the medium large. The, the medium setting works perfect for me, but it does have an extension to allow it to go to a large setting. And there's an extra large option if you have larger wrists. But mine fits really well. And the third thing I'll say about the physical design is that for charging and connecting it to a computer, it has, as part of the clasp, the latch that holds it together, a USB connector. And you just plug that USB connector straight into your computer and it charges. And it also makes a data connection if you need to do a firmware update or anything like that with the desktop software. It has built-in Bluetooth, the, the smart Bluetooth, the Bluetooth LE, uh, as it's known, depending on what label you want to stick on it. And this allows the device to basically be in constant low-power communication with your phone. Again, my, my iPhone is what I'm using it with. and constantly keeps the, uh, the app updated with the fuel and the, my progress to the day with fitness. One of the neat features I saw of that is I did some traveling this weekend for the holiday, and... When I cross time zones, my phone, of course, changed time, and the app immediately knew to update my the time on my Nike fuel band to match the time on my device. Now, it prompted me. I could have said no, but it was really nice not to have to think about setting my watch or changing the time. It just took care of that for me, So, and it remembered to ask me, so I didn't have to think about you know doing it myself. So that's kind of the device. It's, it's not a lot to it. it it's not going to do anything fitness-wise that you couldn't do yourself. But it is kind of a nice way to get a constant interaction of, you know, how, how am I doing this hour? Have I not gotten up and moved around? How many steps have I taken a day if you're into that kind of counting thing? And I, I do like the reminders. I'll, I'll definitely say that, at least at this point. And... Again, I'm a watch wearer. I, I was wearing a watch before this. My watch band had actually broke. Um, so I kind of factored that into the thought of getting one of these. And so I like the ability to tell time. There's not a lot of the competing devices that do that. Some of them do, but they all have their pros and cons. And that's, that's I, I do like the ability to use the fuel band for that. Now, it's not constantly displaying the time. You press the button and it says, you know, hours and then shows you the time. But or time, excuse me, but and then shows you the actual time. But it is a, it is a feature, and one I've used quite a bit. 
the software is not the most feature-rich software. It doesn't allow you to enter the calories. It doesn't allow you to log extra activities. It's really just kind of a interface for the device. But it does give you statistics. It does give you a way to see everything. Um, and it, it does two things that I think are really good. One is it gives you um, a social aspect. So if you have friends in the Nike ecosystem of fitness apps, it pulls into that. And it um, interacts with those other fitness apps to give you a sum total of your fuel, your Nike fitness level, if you're in those. I also use the um, Nike running app to log my runs. I've been using that for a while. That was the other factor I took into consideration when looking at this device. And it's kind of nice to have them combined and get credit for my non-run activity in addition to my bursts of activity through the runs. And it kind of puts them all together, gives you a way to track it. So that's the main benefits. Uh, again, the cons are the fact that it doesn't uh, doesn't have a heart rate monitor, doesn't have a way to, to actually get an actual realistic idea of, of your exertion level. And it does kind of tie you into the Nike setup. It doesn't really give you a way to get the data out. So there is that. I will mention one other feature that I've used a couple times that I like, and that's the ability to have sessions. And sessions are basically where you block off a period of time and attribute it to a specific activity. So um, you can start a session either through the app or by holding down the button on the device for three seconds, releasing it, it'll say ready, and then you press it again, and that gives you a three-second countdown and then starts the activity. And once the session starts, it kind of keeps the, the statistics that it gives you when you press the button confined to that session. So if you press the button, it'll give you your your process, your, your speed, it'll give you your the time, how long you've been doing that session, and your current fuel accumulated during that session. It doesn't not add those out when you exit the session, it just, you know, while you're in the session, it just feeds you that data because it thinks it's more important. I've done a couple of session recordings. I've done one for a run that I did. Uh, I've done one for a weightlifting session, and I've done a couple for just, you know, my few-minute breaks. And what I do is I go up, uh, walk up and down the stairs uh, of the building. And so I log those as a session of walking stairs. And it kind of gives you a way to break up and visualize the data and keep track of what you were doing during those bursts of activity, uh, separate from just your normal walking around activity. So, again, I'm going to keep wearing it. Uh, obviously, I've, I've bought it, so I'm going to continue to use it. I, I really like the device so far, but a week's not a long time to actually give a device review, but I did want to kind of mention that I'd gotten it and kind of give a brief description of what it was. I will say that if I'd been on the market and hadn't gotten the deal that I got on this, I was leaning towards the Polar Loop, or the actually probably more so the newer Garmin VivoFit. I like some of the features on the Loop better, but the VivoFit is got a, uh, I like the fact that you don't have to change the batteries even if it doesn't have a backlight. And what I like about both of those is they work with a heart rate monitor. So I was kind of looking forward to actually having the ability to integrate a heart rate monitor. Um, I may do that and just integrate it with, integrate it with the phone. Because uh, my phone will work with a heart rate monitor. Uh, yeah, well, I'll just have to see. Other devices on the market that are similar. Again, uh, the, the big one that you see everywhere is the Fitbit Flex. I don't really like the fact there's no display on that. 
and the fact that the Force was the one I really liked, but they recalled it and took it off the market. So uh, I definitely have liked the Nike Fuel Band SE so far, and I'll, I'll probably give a future update on it as I've had more time to use it. So that concludes this episode of the Katie's Tech Podcast. I'll be back next time with a new show.